Well, in this beautifully told story that Jasper has kindly read to us from John 4, and you may want to turn back to it if you have a Bible with you. This beautifully told story of the encounter of Jesus with a Samaritan woman. In this story, two evangelists come into view, not one. Jesus, of course, is the evangelist par excellence. This gospel story is so typical. Jesus is the brilliant communicator and conversationalist. He surprises this woman as she comes to draw water. He teases her. He draws her out of her shell. He challenges her. He offers her a new way of viewing herself and her world. Of course, Jesus is not only the greatest communicator of the good news, he is the good news. But there is a second evangelist in this story, and it is the Samaritan woman herself. She is so touched and changed by Jesus that she rushes back to her home village of Saika and she is unable to contain the joy of her discovery. Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? And as we continue this short series about making friends, making disciples, it's the example of this woman that I want us to use to encourage us for a few minutes before communion. The story is set by John in the early months, it seems, of Jesus' public ministry. His healings and his teaching have begun to attract significant attention, so much so that his popularity is beginning to create misunderstandings. And so Jesus and his disciples hastily retreat north to uh, Galilee. The quickest route, as this map shows, was through Samaria. It certainly was not the preferred route of Jews... Samaria was a country you avoided as a Jew, if at all possible. You took a detour, as shown here, across the Jordan. So much of their history and their culture, and particularly their skewed take on Judaism, had left a long legacy of bitterness. But this was the route, direct route, that Jesus chose to take. And on his way, he rests at a famous landmark, Jacob's Well. And it is here that this encounter happens. Jesus is thirsty. He's waiting in the blazing midday sun for his disciples to return with some food. It's a bit of an ordeal because he can hear the running water. It's not just a well, but the Language here tells us it was a fresh water spring, but there was no way of drawing up this water. 
And then suddenly, this solitary woman appears from the village nearby. And it's awkward. In ancient Middle Eastern culture and even today, a solitary man just does not talk to a solitary woman in public. And certainly a Jew would never use the utensils of a Samaritan, the late Leslie Newbegin, who for many years was Bishop of India, described how Brahmins, the high caste Hindus, would never, ever drink from a Dalit quarter, however thirsty they were. And it has that sort of feel to it here. And yet, putting aside all the prejudices and all the fears of misunderstanding, Jesus initiates this conversation. I'm sure we've all experienced falling into conversation with somebody, maybe at an airport or a hotel lobby or on a plane or a train or whatever, and we suddenly find ourselves disclosing things about ourselves that slightly surprise us, and we sort of reflect on this conversation a bit later and think, how did that happen? And there was a kindness, there was an interest, there was a safety, there was an anonymity that made us somehow feel comfortable to share perhaps more than we would normally share. And that's exactly what happens here. Such was Jesus' compassion that he had and has a unique ability to open us up. He disarms this woman by brushing aside the social taboos. He brilliantly lights up her imagination. Verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He shakes her rigid by the way he knows about her past. He wins her admiration by the brilliant way he handles the theological question about which mountain is most sacred and what an ending. How quickly this conversation has moved from mundane talk about buckets and water to talking about shared aspirations at the very heart of their faith. I know that the Messiah is coming, she says. The Samaritans believed only the first five books of the Hebrew Bible were authoritative. And so her view would have been very much shaped by Deuteronomy 18. A prophet like Moses will come. And yet Jesus responds majestically, I, the one speaking to you, I am he with that evocative echo of God speaking to Moses in the burning bush, I am who I am, Jesus, the great and greatest evangelist. But then the woman rushes back to her village. Her whole world in the course of one short conversation has suddenly been turned upside down. Somehow she is alive as never before. She feels different for the first time for such a long time. She feels that she has, has uh, had some hope in her life. It's as if this living water that this rabbi was talking about had somehow washed her conscience and cleansed and renewed and satisfied her whole being. Here is 
a beautiful modern sculptor in the cloisters of Chester Cathedral, which we used in a prayer meeting not too long ago. It's very cleverly built because it is a fountain and it comes from a very old spring just outside the cloisters of Chester. And here the sculptor, uh, Stephen Broadbent, portrays her being joined to Jesus, uh, his life springing into her with all the renewal that brings. And the greatest need of every one of us is to meet Jesus for ourselves, to receive the eternal life that only he can give. And religion and church going and new relationships and a fresh therapy and renewed health, none of these things can quench the deep human thirst for forgiveness, for a new start, for hope in our lives. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And so this woman becomes an amazing advert for Jesus. And there are two features of her witness that I want to highlight. First, we can't fail to see her excitement. Who is this exhausted Jewish traveller who claims to know so much more than our father Jacob and our great prophet Moses? Who is this audacious man who has given me something that is so much more profound and lasting, like a spring of water welling up to eternal life? Winston Churchill once remarked, people occasionally stumble over the truth. But most pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. Not so this woman. An ancient Syriac commentator puts it beautifully like this when he wrote in the 4th century, first she caught sight of a thirsty man then a Jew, then a rabbi, afterwards a prophet, last of all, the Messiah. She tried to get the better of a thirsty man. She showed dislike for a Jew. She heckled the rabbi. She was swept off her feet by the prophet. And she adored the Christ. Did you notice how she rushed back into her village and she forgot her water jar. Did she leave it kindly so that Jesus and his disciples could then drink at leisure, perhaps? Did she leave it because she had found a better source of water? A pious thought, but probably not true. I think she left her water jar because she was so overwhelmed with her encounter with Jesus, that she just could not wait to tell others of her discovery, her excitement. It's often said, isn't it, that the reason this woman came to the well alone and in the fierce midday sun 
when most of the women would gather in groups and come early morning or late evening was because she was so full of shame. As Steve Holmes pointed out the last time we looked at this passage together, it could well be that her five exes and her present partner was about her being a victim, being passed from man to man, as opposed to being an incurably bad wife. But however you read her life and the sadness of it, to avoid the embarrassment of meeting respectable neighbours, to avoid overhearing those inevitably snide comments, she goes alone in midday at the most uncomfortable time to draw water so she does not encounter people. But now look at her. She's approaching neighbours that she's not talked about for years. She's in the market square stopping everybody and saying, guess what, who I've met. Her past reputation, her standing, her past, she now owns it without shame. Come and see a man who has told me everything that I have done. She is irrepressible. Too excited not to speak is the title of this sermon. And I wonder, were we once a bit like that when we first met Jesus? And has Jesus changed? Has his living water gone a bit stale? Or could it be that we actually have grown stagnant in our delighted following of Jesus? One of the things we most often say to each other, don't we, about witnessing is that we don't feel qualified enough. It's okay for you guys who know your Bibles so well, but I get embarrassed because people ask me questions and I don't know the answer. But just think about how little this woman knew. She's still at the beginning of a journey of discovery. And it seems to me, and I guess you would agree, that in today's culture, it is a lot more attractive to be saying humbly, could this be the Christ, than to say, I have the answers, please will you listen. To learn to ask the right questions and to share those questions with others is a primary skill I think we all need to know. But then suddenly, while this story is in full flow, it's just as if the camera pulls away and a new scene comes into focus. For while this woman is excitedly sharing her story, if you look down to verses 31 to 38, we find here a separate scene. The disciples are now back with Jesus with the food, And Jesus is, it seems, reflecting on what has just happened. Having tantalized the woman about fresh water that is not literal, he now tantalizes his disciples about food that is equally figurative. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then it seems that Jesus reflects on two well-known farming 
Proverbs. And you wonder, don't you, why John interrupts this beautiful and delicately told story about the woman of Samaria in this way. And I think it is, as I've reflected on it, because Jesus is saying something here that John wants us to hear that underlines and legitimizes the sheer excitement of this woman. The first proverb is, it's still four months to the harvest, to which Jesus replies with the famous words, if I can get back to where we are, I tell you, open your eyes. And look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. The old version's more literally white unto harvest. Maybe he's seeing the Samaritans beginning to stream towards them. But in other words, the time is over for waiting, Jesus is saying. The faithful sowing of the patriarchs and the prophets and John the Baptist is now over. Now is the time for harvesting. This woman, in other words, has got it exactly right. Stop waiting until you have been trained in evangelism. Stop waiting until you have a diploma in apologetics. Just tell your story. For the time is right. The harvest time is here. And the second proverb, similarly, verse 37, one sows, another reaps. Quite so, says Jesus. You don't know who's gone before as you talk to people, as you talk to your friends and neighbors, but now is the time of harvest. I send you out to reap for what you did not work for. This woman has not just stumbled across a remarkably gifted man. This woman has met the one who is the longing of the ages. This woman has met the one who is the climax of the covenant. This one who she has met is the one who has now brought in the long-for kingdom of God on earth. I tell you, writes Paul, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the time of his salvation. And that is what Jesus is saying. And he is legitimising and underlining and approving and encouraging the excitement of this woman. Her excitement. And secondly, her impact. And the camera now pans back to this little Samaritan village and to the excited witness of this woman. And John, as you see on the screen here, records the remarkable impact. Look at it, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything. I have ever done. Even though her witness was so simple and so sketchy and so faltering, many were convinced. And so they come out to Jesus, who is presumably still at the well, and they invite him to spend time with them. And so for two days... Jesus does what no orthodox rabbi would ever dream of doing. He lives in this place that Jews considered to be spiritually polluted. 
and he teaches them. No doubt he healed. And once they have Jesus close up, close up, many, many more trust him. And so to the climactic words of this passage, verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Do you remember how after the cross and resurrection and ascension and Pentecost, there was a remarkable deacon called Philip, an evangelist, who went to this area, to Samaria, and a great revival occurred. Surely John 4 is the foundation of that revival. And as we come to communion now, I just want to say to us all, we have no idea of the effect of our very simple witnessing for Jesus. I love to listen to people's stories of how they came to faith. And I think we don't tell our stories to each other half enough. And as we listen to each other telling our stories of coming to faith, we realize again what a fascinating chain of events and people are often involved. Maybe there will be an immediate impact as there was here. Maybe it will take a Philip, many years later, going to preach in the same area for there to be a visible response. And so I want to encourage us this morning from a recent survey by the Evangelical Alliance in cooperation with others was this extensive survey, Talking Jesus. And one of their main findings was this frightening and staggering statistic that 43% of adults in Britain are not convinced that Jesus was even a real person. That is the context in which we live and serve. And yet we know, do we not, that for all such frighteningly uh, difficult statistics, our islands are full of people who are profoundly thirsty for truth and meaning and hope and fulfillment. Live lives worthy for the Lord, for sure. That's what we underlined last week. But let us open our mouths too. Let the excitement of who Jesus is come out of our lives in our conversation. Let's ask questions to our friends. Fun questions, but provocative questions. Let's tease them. Tease them with observations about life and the possibility of the existence of God. Let's learn how to tease people. 
And then when the moment comes, tell them about a water that you have found that has satisfied your life utterly and completely. The only qualification we need is the qualification of this woman to have met Jesus and be excited by him. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the saviour of the whole world? As we heard with the children. And Jesus this morning as we come now to the table of the Lord says, I, the one speaking to you, I am 